Has it occurred to you that the systems we live by are not designed to get results? We pay for procedures instead of outcomes, focusing on emergencies rather than preventing disease and living a healthy lifestyle. For over 25 years, I've taken care of Olympians, Paralympians, A-list actors, and Fortune 1000 companies. If I do not get results, they do not get results. I realized that while powerful people who control the system want to keep the status quo, if I were to educate the masses, you would demand change. So I'm taking the gloves off and going after the systems as they are. Join me on my mission to create a new tomorrow as I chat with industry experts, elite athletes, thought leaders, and government officials about how we activate our vision for a better world. We may agree and we may disagree, but I'm not backing down. I'm Ari Gronich, and this is Create a New Tomorrow Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Create a New Tomorrow. We're here with Dominic Arnold, one of my close friends, uh, ex-clients, patients, and an amazing world-class Olympic athlete. This guy is the oldest man in history to break 12.9 seconds in a 110-meter hurdle, or 12.91 was it, I, I think. You know, one of the things he doesn't talk about enough is breaking the world record. He talks about owning the American record, but not breaking the world record. Dominic, I'm going to let you kind of tell a little bit about your history, who you are, why you are this amazing athlete, and now coach two other amazing athletes. So take it away. Well, thank you, Art, for having me. First of all, man, it's been a long time since I saw that little, that nice little face of yours, that cookie face. Right. It's a lot smaller. <laughs> right? uh, yeah. But yeah, quickly, I'm going to say this. Um, the reason why I'll talk about breaking the world record is simply because, which has never happened before in the sprint race, I got second place, but yet I still broke the world record. And my agent had a fit that day because technically I broke the world record, but I got second. So, <laughs> and, but uh, essentially ended up breaking the American record that stood for it since the 88 or some, something like that. And, uh, but that's why I, I, I don't mention it because I think uh, a lot of it has to do with modesty, you know, you know, for a person to say, well, I broke the world record. And they look your name up, sir. It doesn't say that. But yeah, I kind of did do it. So, yeah, but, <laughs> but how, um, how far behind were you? It wasn't even, I think, a oh, tenth or two. It was two hundredths of a second. Two hundredths? Yeah, yeah two hundredths of a second. Right. Yeah. So we, we actually was tied off the last hurdle. It just, I run like a goofball off the last hurdle. So I, and my technique cost me. <laughs> my running technique cost me. But um, but yeah, you know, uh, obviously that was 2006. I had moved on, um, start coaching. You know, I was over in Saudi for about four years and um, coaching kids over there to pretty much do the same thing I did, reach those high levels of, of, of achievement on the track and off the track because I did a lot of, of just one-on-one -on -one, uh, uh, intervening because as new athletes, especially in other countries, the other countries see the U.S. as the pinnacle of athletic achievement. And a lot of times um, it gets overlooked when it comes to what it is we have to go through. We in the United States have one of the only systems where we have college and within the college system you have sports. You know, you go anywhere else, they don't have that. You know, they have, that's why I have a lot of club systems. So there's a mentality that growing up in the United States with sports that we have from a very early age that uh, has to be implemented or could, could be implemented when it comes to uh, coaching in other countries. Gotcha. So tell me something that is kind of like the favorite memory, your favorite competing memory ever. Oh, wow. Uh, I would like to say it was the record race, but um, it was actually two weeks after that because when I ran that record, I actually twisted my ankle after trying to dive at the, the finish line. And I didn't, I wasn't able to run again into, until this small meet in Crete. And um, I did not know if I was going to run. And, I, and the, the meet promoter was just a, a great guy, his Michael. And he, he utilized his resources to help me uh, 
at least think about having an opportunity to run again. That's the first time I did the uh, underwater ultrasound. You know, uh, that's pretty cool. And the race itself, I still was skeptical literally five minutes up until I lined up and just didn't know. And I went out there and literally jogged uh, the third fastest time in the year. And to me, and, and because the meat promoter was so thankful and elated, and I was kind of shocked too myself, he was so thankful that I did it, that it meant a lot to me to see that typically you don't see a lot of guys in these positions show appreciation for an athlete, especially if he was injured and he had to push through just to make sure the people who came to see you actually saw you. I definitely, that's one of the moments that I always think about and hold on to because it was one of those things where you go, okay, mental fortitude had a lot to do with it because <laughs> like, I, like I just mentioned, when it comes to being in the United States and going through our system, it makes you tough. It's a different type of toughness, you know, not to take anything away from anybody else, but you definitely have to stay mentally prepared for anything at any time. Yeah, that is that is true. You know, you came to me long ago, right after a pretty major injury. Mm -hmm. And we did some some work that was pretty powerful. You you've always called me the uh, torture chamber. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Affectionately, I, I Yeah, yeah. With and, a smile, with a smile. <laughs> and um you know, you would say things like, I want to have Bruce Lee strength like you have. That's right. That's right. Uh, and so here's my question. What is the, the problem with the system that we have that an athlete like you who's getting, who's got an entourage, who's got coaches and trainers and people and therapists mm -hmm. had to go outside of that system in order to come to a specialist like myself? Right. Absolutely. Uh, easy one to answer, simply because if you, when you look at just any system in general, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, so you nowadays, see back then that was 2007. Think about it, YouTube was fairly new, maybe think two years old. Um, and everyone kind of stayed in their, their position. If you're a doctor, you're a dentist, you know, if you're a, a, a surgeon, no one really went outside the realms of of what they did, you know, uh, coaches. They didn't, ex they didn't expand outside of just training. Nowadays, you have coaches who, they have an idea of how to give a little bit of rehab. Not completely, but for the most part, coaches have a, a number of athletes they have to tend to. And so they're, they, I guess, without kind of assuming that this is all I'm gonna do for today anyway, these coaches, athletes, there's not a lot of, extra effort put towards um, trying to find out how to really keep the athletes together. So they might have a phone number. Hey, go see this guy. Some of them, most of them don't have a phone number of a, uh, of a physician where they can go see and, and kind of put their athlete back together again. And at the professional level, most of them don't care, you know, because it, it's, it's, it's cyclic. You know, you have one athlete come in another one go out and as long as they're still getting their paycheck, they really don't care, you know, and that's the downside to it. I was, I don't, I can't even remember how I met you. You know, I don't know if it's through <laughs> I remember. Uh, somebody goes gym or, you know, cause I would talk to those bodybuilders. I know, I'm thinking, I know someone, they know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Yeah, I, I know exactly how, how we met. It was- Yeah, uh, how, man, remind me, please. Venice Beach, Gold's Gym. Yeah, Gold's Gym. And Charlie Cohn, who had been a bodybuilder and- Yeah, the, the guy with the dreads. And therapist? No, bald dude. Remember? The bald guy. Very oh, the little dude. Little guy. Who like to stretch you all, who stretches you and try to rip your body apart. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember him. He lived across, yeah, I remember him, yeah. He lived off Overland. said, I have somebody for you. Right. You said, I don't know about this guy, because, you know, at the time I was, what, 340 pounds? I was, I was. Were you that much? Yeah, I was a big guy. Oh, wow. And, yeah. uh, and so I basically, I said to you, you want me to show you where you're weak? Uh -huh. And I showed you a little bit of a martial arts uh, hold. And, uh -huh. uh, and then I had you try to get out of it. Get out, I couldn't get out. Couldn't get out of it. And then I had you put me in the hold. And yeah, I, yeah. 
and I got right. Yeah, you did that. Yeah, you did that little crazy thing. OC. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I also remember because I would tell the story often when you said you fell from your motorcycle and because your ankles, because you always show how flexible and strong your ankles were, and how you say I will never twist my ankle again because of the things. The you have to have a somewhat insane mind in order to think about certain things to do to make sure that, okay, my shoulder's gonna be strong, my wrist, you like your wrist was strong, you know, your fingertips, I mean, your fingernails were black belts. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man, I, yeah, I, remember. I remember that little guy because he lived right off Overland, across the street from the, um, the supplement store I used to go to off, uh, in, in these apartments. And I would go over there, yeah, he would stretch the, I was flexible anyway, but that Bruce Lee strength statement came from the fact that, one, I love Bruce Lee, he was flexible, but when that guy was stretching me, I can feel where I was weak. And so now you still put me in these positions, but now we're adding strength to it. That makes a huge difference, huge difference. <clears throat> Absolutely, you gotta create strength where there's weakness. Mm -hmm. And you know, that old saying, a chain, you know, is only as strong as the weak link. That's right. Yeah. That's the same thing with, with a person's body. So mm -hmm. affect mindset, right? So if right. there's a weak link in the mindset of an athlete, how, how is that affected? Or even of the coach or trainer? Well, well once again, that's a two-part process because if you have, you have a lot of, I've seen a lot of talented world-class athletes and, and even in, whether it's basketball, football, what have you, track, and just mentally just weak, you know, and just gifted, you know, they're talented, they're gifted, but mentally just not there. So now with the coach from translation from coach to athlete, there has to be some type of their own little dictionary, uh, like to say, because there's certain words that will trigger an athlete to make them kind of focus in on that talent that they're not fully using. But a lot of times you, it, you, you have to be patient to get that because a lot of times coaches, they can't reach the athlete that way. You know, they, they have the same pattern that they're used to using with certain athletes. And then you have that one or two who comes in and they're, you just, they just can't get a message across in order to tap into, you know, their full potential. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, you have to have patience, but it's a, it's a tricky thing to, to uh, encounter. Tell me something about your life now as a coach and mm -hmm. how you try to instill a sense of ability into some of your athletes who have talent but may not have that mindset oh yeah you know i'm a i'm high energy <laughs> so uh and you know my sense of humor i try to merge the two together because as an athlete you know i had when I was running, I had three coaches outside of college, you know, the post-collegiate athlete. And they all had different training styles. One of my coaches, he he's a little more serious as a because he was a competitor as well. And so he felt that I should be the same way. I'm not that way. I did know how to turn it on as soon as, you know, we lined up at the starting line. But in the meantime, I'm like, hey guy, how you doing? Hey, hey, man. And so He's him watching that. He's thinking, I'm not focused. You know, so you still have to allow an athlete to kind of be themselves in order to get the best out of them. So I look at that. That's the first thing I look at. What type of personality do they have? And does that personality go too far outside the lines of focus where if I start to coach them and do certain things that that will be the, the their Achilles heel, so to speak. You know, you can have a good personality, but it's – we still have to maintain the, fo the focus on what we're doing. And otherwise, if you let it get too far outside the realms of, of uh, what we're, you know, what we're trying to accomplish, then you lose an athlete that way. And um, then a lot of times it can turn on you. I've never had that happen, but I've seen it happen. And I've heard the, the reasons why. So just in that as well, when you start to sit down with other athletes and have stories, hey, how's your coach? How does he train you? What's the type of conversations you guys have? You know, I take all that in. I just, I can have a, like a, a, a stew, so to speak, of information when it comes to receiving that new athlete who 
might be shy, who may be a, a extrovert, overt, what have you, and um, and do it that way. Since because if not, you can't put everybody in the same bucket. You know, you're not going to get the same results, and we know that. So Absolutely. definitely not a yeah. size fits all. Right. You know. Right. So in life in general, for people who are not competitive athletes, mm -hmm. but they're trying to build their health, they're trying to do certain things to help them become an 80-year-old who's still standing up straight, right? Right, right, yep. What kind of things would you recommend for being able to get into a zone, even if it's not the zone, right? Mm-hmm zone that will help them to be more active of prevention rather than just emergency? Interesting you say that because uh, prior to COVID, you know, going to the gym and seeing these older uh, people on uh, ellipticals in the pool, you know, low impact type exercise. But prior to them being in that gym, a thought had to be there. Uh, some people don't want to go to the gym. They don't want to be seen. They, they uh, label themselves out of shape. And I don't want anyone seeing me like this. They think I want to go to the gym looking like, you know, The Rock Johnson or something. So, <laughs> which is, you know, it's not going to happen. But um, it, it's more, it's, you, you got to get your hands on people like that. You got to be able to talk to folks like that and just to convince them that, hey, you know what, just start slow. Uh, I see these videos out there that are kind of focused for older people or people who are just wanting to get into um, um, health and, and, and fitness. And they say some good things, but you have to realize everyone's not started from the same position. I see stories of women who uh, just started lifting weights at 60 and they're ripped at 70 years old. What was, what happened the first 50, 60 years of life, you know, but you definitely have to have a, a level of, of uh, a mental fortitude. Uh, it's not always painful. You know, people think it's gonna be painful, it's not. It's just movement, you know, um, just getting started. And it's, I know it seems simple, but really it's just that. Let me get started. Let me just go to a pool. Uh, uh, let me walk around the, the block with my friends or, or even with, by themselves with some headphones in and listen to their favorite songs. Because that activity, because the times when I get out of shape, I think about if I'm that older person and what is necessary for me to get back into shape. Because I do have a background in sports, I can always, you know, kind of go to that, that locked vase of, 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 uh, <laughs> of pushing towards through or through the pain, you know? Right. And so it's, it's not as hard for me to really push through something that's, you know, uncomfortable physically. But for the most part, they just have to get started. Once you get started, then it's like, oh, I did this for the first week. Now I think I can add something else. Whereas you have the attitude of certain people feel like they have to dive into it right away. Uh, they go see these personal trainers. They kill them in the gym. Their bodies are sore. They can't recover for the next day for the workout. And then they, they lose, you know, uh, they lose hope. You know, they don't, I can't do this. If this is what it takes to get in shape, I can't do it. And it's not what it takes. It's got to be a, it's a gradual process. Right. So societally, um, a place like, say, China has oh. an evening community and countrywide workouts, right? Yeah. We're, we're obviously not going to ever do that. But <laughs> as corporations yeah. or as, um, you know, as communities and as society mm. in general, you know, and this whole situation going on, I don't want to talk too much about COVID or right that, but this whole situation going on has really highlighted the need for building an immune system and creating a healthy community. Right. Right. Funny because when, when the whole lockdown started, you mm. go to the grocery store and all of the bread aisles are gone, the candy aisles yeah. are gone, and the alcohol aisles are gone, but <laughs> all the crap. None of the things that actually help boost yeah. the immune system and keep you yeah. healthy. So how do we as a society shift our system of education, shift our system so that it focuses on being a healthy society versus emergency sick society? Right. 
I think we well, we're slowly gradually shifting towards that because as you mentioned, uh, when it started, the lockdown started. I actually started seeing more people walking around and in, in in the neighborhood than I've ever seen before. So, just in itself, because the scare was an immune system scare, you know, uh, I got to I got to boost my immune system. I do some type of exercise to stay stronger to fend off this thing. So. I think this was a wake-up call for all of us. And, oh yeah, of course, like you mentioned, it was kind of a surprise to me to see a whole aisle full of vitamin C just sitting there, <laughs> bioflavonoids, uh, you know, green foods, that's food, you know, and just sitting there where all the, the stuff that really diminishes our immune system was, uh, was uh, absorbed. So, but I think we are kind of moving slowly and slowly into that, that way of, of, at least thinking about health in a in a good way. Um, yeah, being in China, you mentioned something that I've witnessed. Five a.m. in the morning, and they're doing their chi, and it's beautiful one to watch because two sides of it. One, you see a lot of people come together for one common cause, and two, it's health. You know, it's you watching people care about their health. It's like I love seeing people run. I love seeing people ride bikes. You know, people in the gym. Like, I like seeing that. Like, well, that's cool. You know, not that you got, oh, yeah, you get super excited. It's just that I like seeing people work out, taking care of their bodies, you know. And But we are, I, I think, with with YouTube, uh, now we have this, this Zoom, and you see a lot of Zoom workouts. You have people trying to uh, uh, produce these communities, these Zoom communities, where uh, we are putting ourselves in a better uh, situation to take care of ourselves and to have people do it with us. So it's happening, uh, but of course at a slower rate. Um, I think if, if we have more trainers with more Zoom and, because you can, you can touch more people with Zoom, you know, and it's live, you can do it. You have all these people, they got the Zoom basketball guys. I mean, uh, people in the stands now, baseball, so on and so forth. So they're able to watch the game. So you can have something like that take place. Uh, I think you have that with, depending on how much time people have, making time to uh, listen to someone give a nutritional uh, background. Okay, we just worked out today, so now we're going to talk about what you're going to do afterwards or, 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 or before workout, pre and post workout uh, nutritional information, you know, um, but it's time, you know, and a lot of people, we still feel like we don't have a lot of time on our hands, so we try to fit in what we can in the moment. Well, let me do this fast workout you know, and then you forget about eating healthy, you know, uh, but they, they all work together. So we're moving that direction. I, I just think that it still needs to be some type of format where it does uh, help people more often. My little, my little son over there is <laughs> looking at Papa. But yeah, that, I, think, I think that's a format that, have you seen my son? I, I have not seen your son other than in pictures. But yeah, that's, that's, that's what I, that's what I think. Um, so how, how do we build that integration? Because I think that sports is probably the closest thing that we have to integration of medical right. care, right? We integrate yeah. medical care, the surgeries, the, the emergencies with mm -hmm. the prevention and the nutrition and the other kinds of optimization and stuff. Right. Like that. So how do we move that into from just sports into the rest of the medical system? I think we need, I, honestly, we need more of it in sports because uh, before it even moves from sports, I learned, like people like you, I ask questions. Highest level athletes, most of the time, depending on how much money they make, they don't ask a lot of questions. So we could be funneled, athletes themselves could be funneled for that, for that next step. But if they don't know anything, it can't be a funnel. You know, you have uh, guys stepping out, vet, uh, basketball players creating these academies. But with any academy, is they're only teaching one thing. Technique. You have, right. Yeah, that's it. You know, uh, you, you have doctor friends as well as I do. And when they go through medical school, they tell you, we only spend maybe a semester on nutrition. But then we go to them for, for help, for our health. And yeah, you can give, a person, uh, you can have a surgery. Like I remember when I had hernia surgery, I found out two years later through a nutritionist, hey man, uh, you had hernia? 
surgery? Said, yeah, I had hernia surgery. When? Well, about a year ago. Well, did you take vitamin C immediately afterwards, 10,000 milligrams? And for what? You know, the doctor didn't, the, the doctor didn't say that. So how should I know? So it forces you to be in a, a, to think differently about your health, especially if you're an athlete and you have to maintain this high level of performance. But if you just have enough money to pay for the help and assistance that you're getting, you're not going to ask a lot of questions because you're concerned about getting back on the, the field of play. So in order to move the thing from sports to, let's say, our, into our society and, and to have this huge explosion of health and health recognition and, and, and uh, operate within those parameters, we have to first have, have it happening for us. You know, because unless you have a lot of trainers and, this, and there's not a lot of people going into uh, trying to be physical trainers nowadays. I was talking to one of my friends and he was saying how he wishes that it was more athletes who cared about their bodies as like I do. We sit there talk about choke canters and intercostals and, you know, like, hey, most athletes don't talk about those things. I said, but I care to know. And, and once we start to get athletes who care and be educated about their own bodies, then they'll have, because they're the face of that sport uh, or, or of that, that area that they're in. Kobe Bryant used to live in Orange County. So he was the face of Orange County as well as, well as LA. So if he were to be well-educated, and I bring it up because, you know, his birthday just passed, and um, uh, shout out to Kobe, in, in, in nutrition, then he could have added to the Mamba Academy, you know, here's a new, I mean, maybe they have, I don't know. I don't want to say that they do or didn't, but uh, I just knew it was basketball. So they, he, he can add a nutritional program or a classroom before or after. Here, this is what we do, guys. And so, and then those athletes see that, that structure and then they take it to, you know, to their high school or to their college. And then, you know, from there it expands, but there has to be, someone to care about the nutritional side of things because just being you know a great athlete it, that's where it starts and stops right there good questioning 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 learning how to be a questioning culture is what i'm hearing you say and we 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 definitely have yeah. a culture that that's fairly um ap acquiescent right we we, right. we ask to what we're told and don't question it. And this is kind of goes on with the media. It goes on with, right. with, with all of Definitely. what's been going on lately is a lot of acquiescence versus mm -hmm. a lot of questioning. You know, I had the opportunity a while ago to work with, with Kobe, as you know, and he was what, 10 minutes from, from my house, the, the training mm -hmm. center. Mm -hmm. And Gary V, the trainer. Ovidia, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to, Gary Vitti. Sorry, Gary V's in my mind, but Vidi, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to call his butt out live. In a <laughs> he was recorded as saying on, on an interview that he did with uh, the, was it LA Times Magazine? Uh -huh. That's saying, oh, he's, you know, this was right after Kobe's injury. He said, was Achilles? Kobe's never going to, yeah, Kobe's never going to be as good as he was. He's going to be 70, 80% maybe of what he was, right? And he's just going to have to live with it. And we're used to this happening. It happens all the time. Now, this is after the guy has been there 25 plus years. So I talk, mm -hmm. I, get a, I get a call with Mitch Kupchak and I'm like, you do realize that this is your top trainer, for 20 plus years, he's oh. never going to be as good as he was. Yeah. That is completely false. And so, wow. you know, does that happen? All the time. In <laughs> All the time. Sport. All the time. You're never yeah. going to be as good. What did I tell you after your injury? Do you remember? After my Achilles or groin? Which one? Yeah. Oh, it's going to be stronger than before. Because you know what? The thing about it is, I don't know if, if, it, if it was because I did mention being strong as Bruce Lee and in a, in a wide range of movement, and maybe you really focus in on that, but here was, here was the prescription and you filled it, you know, and, and yeah, but you said I would never get hurt again. 
And I didn't in that area. I never got hurt again in that area. Exactly. And the only th the other thing I said to you is not only are you going to be as good as you were, you're mm -hmm. going to be better than you ever thought you could be because you won't have to worry. You won't have in the back of your right. mind the right. mindset of having this be something that's going to happen again and again and again. Yeah, we talked a lot about that. And just recently I was talking to one of my friends because he just saw my uh, NCAA race and he hadn't seen it before. And I, and I had the worst start anyone can have in a sprint race and I came back and won. He said, what, were, what was going through your mind you know, during that race? I said, well, honestly, I, was, I had a hamstring issue. I was getting through it, but I was always afraid to really blast out the blocks because I wasn't trained as a sprinter. You know, he, he asked me, what's your fastest time in 100 meters? I said, I never ran 100 meters. He said, you never ran 100 meters. You're, you run track. I said, I said, I ran one 200. That was timed. And it was a hand time. And it was in March. So it's not even close to track season. And I ran like 21 flat or something. He said, wait a minute. You ran 21 flat? I said, yeah. I said, the same meet, I ran 13.4. So we're talking about how does things equate, you know, as far as, as sprints and, and hurdles and so on and so forth. I said, but. I never ran a hundred ever. So, you know, cause people like to do these measurements. I said, but the reason why I didn't start is because I never got trained as a sprinter. I was never comfortable being explosive out the blocks or just, you know, really pushing hard out the blocks to generate some forces. So no telling how much faster I could have ran if I wasn't afraid to, even as a professional, I was still having issues. When I ran a record, I, I had a sore Achilles and my groin was bothering me, you know, so, I wasn't, you know, of course people, they don't always compete healthy, most of them, but I just always had issues. There's only two years I can remember where I had zero injuries from start to finish. That was 2000 and 2005, you know, and well, take that back, 2005 started off with a growing issue. So, but I, I didn't have any problems those two years as track season began. After I met you, before I met you, of course I came to you because I had an issue, I had a groin issue, the ham, actually the groin hamstring attachment issue. And so, but after that, I didn't have any problems. I didn't have any problems, you know, up in that area. My Achilles started acting up because it was just a, an old issue. And then we never really focused on that because that wasn't one of my problems when I came to see you. Yeah, I just didn't have a lot of confidence, you know, um, being explosive about the blocks, man. Yeah, I do. I hate that. Working on your, uh on your Achilles a little bit and you did like some like little massage and release. Yeah. We didn't do a lot of strengthening stuff on it. And I, I remember adjusting your feet out. Yeah. And, yep. and I remember that being, I think a four tenths of a second. Um, I, I was, I was afraid, man. <laughs> you Cause were, you would take it like in a headlock and go crack. <laughs> I was like, Oh no, <laughs> you're yeah. too strong, man. I didn't like it. <laughs> But I, I remember that was about a four tenths yeah. second boost to your. So, I, I couldn't I couldn't remember. I just because I remember um, I didn't run that much that year because of my my groin. Like I said, I I met you late, man. I know. You know and it's, it, so then there's the other question: Is how do we yeah. get people to work with somebody like me before mm -hmm. they get injured, so that I'm not fixing? Oh. I am just creating more performance, right? Or, or people that, that I've yeah. or people that are in my field, you know, cause we always get the people who are at that point where it's like, they've gone to 15 other people and they haven't gotten the help that they want. They haven't gotten the results that they wanted. And I'm a results guy. So how do we get you, you guys to, to come like you're a coach now how do you get your athletes to go to somebody like me so they don't get injured and they don't have to worry about the, those well one yeah one is knowing you you know uh once a coach or athlete knows someone they trust in them because here i this is what i i did when it came to you i don't know if i ever told you this or you even knew it but um there came a time when because i have been one of the reasons why I was kind of skeptical when you did the, the uh, ankle adjustment is because it was done to me by a, another therapist in a, a training group. And I was out for two and a half weeks. He actually strained a ligament yeah, in my foot. 
So I was out. I couldn't train. And and this I was already living in in Pennsylvania. So I'm out here just to train specifically. And now I'm, my time here is being wasted because this guy did this manipulation the wrong way. Crack, strain. So I started to get to a point where if I had a conversation with you and I knew more about the body than you did, I wouldn't work with you. See, so I, I would talk to you, ask questions, and you would know. So I'm like, okay, I trust this guy. Not so much so that because you knew about the body as much as you knew what to do with certain with these parts of the body. You knew. Knowing, you know, knowing the anatomy is one thing. Knowing how to go about treating it is another. I, I put that time in to make sure that I would question a person a certain way to, so I can feel comfortable knowing that they're not going to mess me up. A lot of athletes, if they take the time to do so, then they'll be in the same position where they can, you know, pretty much doing an ND.com, you know, you, you kind of filter things out. What's really necessary here? Who can I hire? Who can I not hire? And so with that being said, it's really, man, word of mouth, it does play, it does do its, its part nowadays, but not like big time advertisement, man. And, and it just, you have these high performance centers. They boast and brag about, you know, all the athletes, pretty much football players who train there. And so they say, see, look who we have. But you're not doing anything any different than the guy down the street who has three guys. And they're actually getting better. You can take any young athlete and do well with them, but can you keep them healthy? And see, that's the trick. So and who do I go to to make sure I keep my athletes healthy? You've got to know people. You know, my phone has, I don't know how many doctors in it, phone numbers. I don't need a lot of doctor numbers. I need nutritionists. It's only now, too, because um, one passed some years ago. And then, you know, it's only one guy left that I trust. Now, it's a, it's a ton of them out there, of course. We know that. But who do I trust? You can only trust someone depending on how much time you spent with them. How, oh, I know this guy, this chiropractor. So go to this chiropractor. You've been there two times. And you don't really have an idea of how good are they really. You know, so that's a difficult one, Ari. I mean, it really is. It's, it, it comes down to word of mouth. And then once you get your hands on them and do what you do, then it's like, oh, yeah, Nick didn't lie to us. You know, so now I'm validated. Right. That means I can send more people, you know. But um, that's really what it comes down to, unfortunately, because everybody's trying to do the same thing. And they, they, they're saying they're the best, but. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. I always tell my my clients, my patients, and the people I talk to in general, because, you know, I, I like to, to talk. And I tell them, you know, how often have you ever interviewed your trainer or interviewed right. your doctor or interviewed uh -huh. your chiropractor to make sure that they're going to be the person qualified for what you do right. uh, or what you need? And right. And it's almost inevitable that it's a big honk and zero. They don't right. do that, right? Or create a plan. I like to create plans, plan of action. Here's the goal. Here's the time period. What are we going to do when? How are we going to measure the result? Yeah. Make sure that we get the end game to the result we want. And I don't really see that in industry very. I was going to bring that up, man, and when it came to you, because I was going to say, you can look on YouTube, and I and I and I love going back to YouTube when it when it comes down to the workout that we filmed. You know, you filmed. I haven't seen it yet, and probably because, like you said, this this was catered to my issue, but yet still, the workout in itself, anyone can do at any time. You know, you can do it. And every once in a while, I was like, hey, my quad's kind of tight. Let me do that one little lean back when you you had me on my my knees and and, and I had to fully extend and, and go back and back and hold and back. And sometimes I do that because I remember how I felt afterwards. It hurt like nothing else. But as soon as I got up, I didn't feel anything anymore. And that was the most amazing thing to me where I'm feeling pain in the moment, but as soon as I stop, there's nothing. So there are things that, and I, and Ari, when I tell you I look, I'm looking all the time on YouTube 
Somebody got this old, do this workout, do that workout. This helps this, this helps that. But, and, and, it, and it's a lot of things that's being recycled. I haven't seen anybody do what you did to me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> because like you mentioned, you took the time, you catered it to the, the issues that I had, and it worked for me. Absolutely. But, you know, the thing that's cool is that those exercises, that, that 30 minutes that we filmed that mm -hmm. are simply exercises on a table. You never yeah. off the table, right? That's right. I would not let you do no. <laughs> until you got to where being yeah. the table was easy. Did being on yep. the table ever get easy? No. No. Right? <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I've got Kadivas uh, I'm, uh, I'm talking to also right, on right. a pod, podcast and AD. somebody that you referred over to me. Yep. And he, he says to me constantly, I didn't think that I could sweat that yeah. on your table. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you, know, you got to come up with unique Neekness, you know, like I, I'm unique. I, I had neek, you know, neek apparel. Uh, you know, gotta be unique because every athlete is unique and every situation is, uh -huh. every injury is unique. That's a right. That's injury right. on you is not going to be the same as a groin injury on a bicyclist. That's right. It's just not, it's not going to be the same. It may be part of the same anatomy, but it will be a different right. angle on that spindle. That's that's like my my hope is that we can partially inspire other trainers, other therapists, other doctors to learn right. something that they don't know, to be open and willing to learn something that they don't know, because even if they're never going to use that technique, mm -hmm. at least they'll know who they can refer to. Absolutely. Yeah. What that athlete or what that person needs more of. And, mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I like to think that I'm an influencer in that realm of making and helping people who are in our field get better results and create, right. uh, you know, a, an athlete for tomorrow. You know, my book and my podcast is Create a New Tomorrow. Right. The, the whole point is what kind of results are we getting in our society, in our life, in our world? And are they optimized? Are they good results? Are the results that we're getting equivalent to the effort that we're putting out or are, right. are they suboptimal? And if right. they're optimal, then we kind of have an obligation to reevaluate and mm -hmm. say, okay, what am I doing that is not optimal rather than have a philosophy, right? So a philosophy, mm -hmm. capitalism is good. Mm -hmm. but in reality there's nuance to that right. to that statement so we gotta how do we make capitalism have the results of creating the society that we want right right rather than just ooh, socialism bad capitalism good mm -hmm. yeah, bad, yeah good mask is yeah. mask is good mask is bad yeah, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> milk yeah. changes every month right mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. How do we get to where we can find what's optimal in our society and move people forward as an optimal society? And so that's all about mindset and questioning, like you were saying, right? Yeah, yeah it is. And, you know, as you're, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking, I'm going back to, because you just based off your example, of, let's, let's say we talk about medical field, doctors, so on and so forth. And as I aforementioned, um, you know, my buddy is saying he only took a semester of just nutrition, you know, and how much information can you really get in a semester? Uh, they can they they can try to implement things with, you know, say for example, as they're going through medical school, but for the most part, when they it's it's it seems to me, uh we all have to make a living, right? But there has to be, when money becomes the end goal, the things that we're talking about kind of loses its importance. If you can get paid 
you know, $500,000 to put a Band-Aid on somebody. Do you go and find out how to stitch up, the, up that cut? Probably not. You know, I mean, they're finding faster ways to glue, you know, glue shut a, a cut or an incision. No more stitching. Although they find reasons to stitch every once in a while, but it's, it, they're still find, finding faster ways of doing things. So the, the concern of really making sure that that patient doesn't come back, it's not there, you know. I'm going to talk, in chiropractors, you know, they get put in this, this kind of bad bubble uh, because, you know, I, I remember some years ago, uh, one of my buddies was talking about he might lose his license because they're trying to take away uh, the, the, I guess, the field of chiropractors because they don't think they can consider them as real doctors, you know, or medical doctors. And to me, it's a lie because they actually care about not seeing people again. That's one of the statements he would make. He said, you know, I I love seeing you, but I don't want to see you again for this issue. If you want to come visit me and you're healthy, fine. But for the most part, this guy and a couple of them that I've met, they have the same thought process. I don't want to have to see you again for this. And I understand why it's a couple of reasons. One, I'm, not, I'm probably not doing my job very well, so you got to come back. And, and two, that means you still have this ongoing issue that I know is causing you. Unfortunately, I think money uh, prevents them from wanting to learn more so they could be a the full package so to speak because you know a chiropractor is not a medical doctor medical doctor and a chiropractor you know or a nutritionist or a physical therapist but if you get that one anomaly that you know you got this guy all in one like wow then like you mentioned we mentioned before how can you have people like a person like you have people sent to you you become this anomaly you know like that guy knows everything so go to him it's unfortunate, you know, we're like, you know, we started off talking about in China when they all come together and do chi and because it's a thing of health and longevity. We're United States, we're not gonna get to that point. We're moving slowly into a phase like that where everyone is kind of caring more, but that care only goes so far, especially in the medical field, you know, and that's the unfortunate part. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, why don't you, uh tell people how you became like what is it that's so special about dominic what's so special about you that you could break a world record that you even had the belief that it was possible that you could do that as a living um you know it was a while you know before i was believing in increments if i put it like that <laughs> you know because you got you to ask that question it's kind of it's, it could be presumptuous where I knew as soon as I started running, I was going to be this guy. And, it, and you know, it's, and that's not how it worked. I mean, there were times for some years I was homeless sleeping in my car. So you have moments like that where you don't know. You sleep in your car. You don't know you're going to make it. You know, then your home gets towed. And all your clothes are in your home that got towed. <laughs> you're like, man, there's nothing good is ever going to happen process and, it, and it's interesting uh talked to my coach a month ago uh, the one who first coached me out of out of uh, college who like uh, no 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 uh his name was jeff okay. name was jeff yeah uh larry got a hold of me later you know <laughs> he wanted to kill me and now we became best friends but no it was a gradual process because i just didn't know um watching once again becoming a student of the sport uh, watching films constantly and looking at other people and being able to kind of match up, okay, for two hurdles I ran just as fast as that guy who has multiple gold medals, who has records. I did it for two. That means I probably can do it for four hurdles. That probably means I can do it for 10 because I did it one time. I mean, I, can, I know I can do it more often. So as I got better and better, my confidence began to grow. And so it wasn't an over, it wasn't like immediately I knew. I just had fun throughout the process. Even when I was homeless, I still put on a happy face. You know, and that's one of the things that we talked about. I, I knew I was, but it's like, well, I am, so I still got to eat. You know, it's, it's one of those things where when I look back on it, it's like, wow, I was, I, I did sleep in my car. I was homeless. I, I, I had to sleep in the dorms, you know, some of the athletes because I didn't, you know, had to get ready for work and I, and I couldn't. Um, um, having a place to lay my head. And that was the only place I can lay my head. So 
throughout that process, I still felt like I could do something, but it just not, it's going to take some time. So I really, you know, honestly, I never lost hope. I never lost faith, man. And, and I think because of that, I never gave up and I always thought I could, you know, I never thought I couldn't, you know, and, and, you know, my coach Jeff at the time, man, he, he made sure that even if there was a question, even though there wasn't ever a question, even if I had any doubts that it wasn't going to affect me, like you're going, you're this, you're that, which kind of is part of the issues that I had as an athlete. Cause you know, he trained me, he trained me like a football player in the gym. So I was strong for my size, oh, you know, but that's, yeah, with that strength. I remember you know, having cut weight off of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it was, it, it wasn't advantageous for me, you know, oh, he's the strongest guy, yeah, but I'm stiff. You know, what good is that? I see these guys who are rail thin, they're beating me out the box because what? They're not holding as much mass as, they're more flexible, uh, more durable, probably. I don't know, but I don't know. But the thing about it is, I never, I never lost hope. It was, it was, it was stressful, of course, but at the same time, it was, it always remained fun. So I, I always felt like I had a chance, always. That's awesome. What would you recommend for for a kid who's looking at life as a possible athlete? Doesn't matter what sport, just at and. You know, they have the natural talent, uh, they're good at sports, but, uh, but they don't really know how to go about being that inside themselves. One, I would say the, the, the mindset to have is don't think you know so much. You know, a lot of these athletes, um, especially nowadays because PE is, out of, is taken out of the schools, so it's a lot of club activities taking place. So within the club, within the club, you're paying a coach to, to perform um, his duties, and a lot of athletes, they, you know, they, they grow within themselves. They, they, uh, they start to have more confidence. They feel like they can accomplish more. So then, when you go from that club system to a, uh, let's say, a, a collegiate system or a high school system that has a coach, a designated coach, and you don't get that same attention, they, they feel like, oh, okay, well, this guy gave more attention. Uh, and then within within that, well, he don't know as much, so they 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 turn off. They don't listen anymore. I've never not listened to any coach who coached me. I always listened because I always knew there was something to learn. I wasn't look until I ran something phenomenal. I still had something to learn. If you're a football player and you want to catch more touchdowns than Jerry Rice, well, you need to find out what Jerry Rice knew how he did it, Randy Moss, how he did it, uh, how Michael Jordan did it. What all, you know, you hear these stories about how he shot a thousand shots before and after practice. They can never learn enough. You can yeah. never learn enough. You know, the, on, the only exception to that, I think, is Shaquille O'Neal and his free throws, right? <laughs> but, you know, I don't know if, he, if you saw the one-on-one he had with Cole, man, and he was saw the reason why he was so lazy. Well, he got lazy. He became lazy. It's because when Kobe came, he was like, I got this guy who can score 40 points in a night, so I'm good. I can, I can just use the basketball games to get myself in shape. Uh, this one thing he did, like you, we're talking about this, cross-training, I, I think it's, it's tremendous when it comes to athletes. Shaq had mentioned how he went, he started doing MMA training, and that was the first year they won a championship. So, once again, you got a guy – uh, rookie of the year, um, top uh, uh, top guy out of, out of college, dominating the sport, still had to go and find other means to make himself better. Once again, the attitude, I don't know enough. I'm not going to say that I do. Let me go and find something else that's going to help me become even greater. So to the athletes out there, you, you got to not think you know so much. Just be open, be an open book. Let somebody write some, some chapters in your pages, your empty pages, and then you can go back to those pages and extract something that's, that may not work for you. But take it all in. There's something that's going to work. There's some things that won't work. But if you don't take any of it in, then you wouldn't have learned the thing that you missed out on. You just missed you, uh, I don't need any. Don't write in my book. Get away from me. You know. Yeah. I, I've worked with a number of those kind of athletes, too. Right. 
but for a very short period of time because, right. you know, I don't tolerate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't, man. <laughs> it, it sounds to me like just in life and athletes in general, being somebody who checks their ego and Absolutely. questions, not to question as if, why are you right? You know, mm-hmm. but questions as I am willing to learn Right. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of being a questioner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, checking that ego and saying, okay, I've got something to learn. I can expand who I am. Right. And then being open to hearing the good, the bad, the ugly. Mm-hmm. And saying, okay, what can I? And then being discerning too. You got to be mm-hmm. discerning. Who, whose information are you going to listen to? Is yeah. Uh huh. That, that tells you you're never going to be as good as you were? Is it going to be the right. guy who, you know, says you can be and this is why? What, what is it that you're going to be listening to? And, you know, this whole, this whole podcast I'm doing, mm-hmm. and I'm a, I'm a work in progress, I'm learning myself, right. is because I wrote this book called Create a New, to- or a New Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah vision for a better world create a new tomorrow is is the podcast and really my goal in life and it and it's the same way in my business in my life is always to be at a level of results getting good results activating you know my vision for what i see in an athlete when i have somebody like you come in and i say okay this guy is willing to work what can we do not right. Not what it necessarily is the thing we're fixing, but once, mm-hmm. what can we do? What can we accomplish? And so I say that to to if you're somebody who's in the BLM movement, if you're somebody who's in um, you know the child trafficking movement, if you're somebody who's in the Me Too movement, if you're mm-hmm. if you are somebody who's passionate about medicine, who's passionate about health, societal norms and changes, the thing that is going to propel your movement forward is one getting loud because as you said somebody who doesn't know i exist ain't ever going to find me right right yeah the next thing is ask a lot of questions be willing to learn and hear and listen and change Mm -hmm. and possibly you know have your opinions and your philosophies changed right Right. You know, yeah, because, you know, you, you said it multiple times, ask questions. And a lot of times people, especially in our society, don't like to ask questions, especially when they assume that you should have the answers. If I come to you as a trainer, I assume that you have all the answers for me. That's why you're seeing me. And then you have the next phase of asking questions where someone feels like if I ask the person questions, then they maybe they think I doubt them. So then they have a, they'll have a different energy towards me so will they are they really willing to help me or now do they have in the back of their mind well this person doesn't trust me get off my table get out of here you know <laughs> so i know we're careful a lot especially in our society my wife she's from france right and you know this is just a different way of speaking to people everything is very direct it's not rude it's direct we put so many different words in our vocabulary that we soften certain statements that we make because we're so conscientious of the other person, you know, but being conscientious of a person, you know, you can, the, the information could get lost in translation. So if I ask you a question, let me not add too much to it. Let me just ask you straight out. Because if I ask you a question that has too many additives, you know, where are you really going with this? Uh, do you not trust me? Hey, so Ari, so yeah, you do uh, manipulation, huh? You know, <laughs> you're doubting. That's a doubt. Or, hey, you do manipulation, don't you? You know, it, it's the way we communicate. And unfortunately, if we did ask more questions and people weren't so sensitive, then we'll get more out of it. But if you, because of our societies that way, you know, we kind of miss out on a lot. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the yeah. So we're going to finish up with three questions that I ask at the end of every single podcast and that is i would like you to give our the listeners 
three actionable steps mm. that they can take right now, tomorrow, today, mm. to create a new tomorrow and activate their vision for a better world? To create a new tomorrow, three steps for themselves and maybe possibly others because it transmits. Uh, first one is don't doubt. Don't doubt. Because doubting is the, the one thing that slows the process of moving forward. Next phase, after you don't doubt yourself, because now you're in, you're in action, you're in movement, wherever you're moving towards, get as much information on it as possible, whether it's running, eating, nutrition, love, you know, whatever it may be. Move into that, but with the idea of, of obtaining information. And then third, he's executed. You know, the last part is executing with the idea that mistakes may be made because then the, the other three steps now they're all fortified because if we don't do the third one we don't execute or we execute with being hesitant then the process is null and void you know so we have to execute with the idea that it may be some mistakes made but within that process it's, it's still moving you're still moving towards your ultimate goal and it's going to be accomplished it will be accomplished no doubt that's uh, pretty awesome. I mean, uh, I heard when you were talking is wisdom because wisdom is knowledge in practice. Absolutely. Knowledge in practice. So if you, if you're not taking that wisdom and, or that knowledge that you've been mm -hmm. given by asking a lot of questions, mm -hmm. then the wisdom gets lost because it they're does. being taken. And I did like that you added into there mistakes will be made. Mm -hmm. because we learn so much from our mistakes right. that we can then add to our wisdom and move forward if we can mm -hmm. learn those lessons. And, you know, when, when mistakes are made, what's the best thing to do? Go back to number one and ask a lot of yep. questions. Yep. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dominic, for being here today. Uh, I am so uh, excited and glad that we could talk and reconnect. It's been a while right. since we've been in the same state, but yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll connect again. And right. I'm so, uh, so glad to see your son and your family and yeah. their, your life so going so well. It, it just makes me feel you know, like, uh, you know, warm in the heart and uh, I appreciate it. So. Oh, almost definitely. I, I appreciate you, man. What I don't appreciate. And I always say this is you killing me on that table. That's one. But secondly, and you killing me in words with friends. I didn't like that, man. You was beating me way too much in words with friends. <laughs> well, you know, we, we had to. Okay. <laughs> like he beat me up on the table. It's he you. beat me into words. Yeah, you were in Saudi Arabia, I think, at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Athletes, and I had to give you a little bit to, you know, I had to give pop, you... Pop, pop, <laughs> But uh, I think uh, I like the torture. Yeah, I did. I it did. only lasted the amount of time you were on the table. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it's funny. In Indian ceremonies, I'll kind of end with, with this. In Indian okay. they say that... They, you know, yeah, sweat lodges and vision quests and sun dances. And they say that the ceremony is meant to be hard so that your life will be easy in comparison. Absolutely. And so maybe with you a little bit, I took that philosophy and, and put it towards your training. But right. I feel like what we were able to accomplish by torturing your muscles and torturing your, your tendons and joints. Right everything was that when you walked away, you felt, as you would say, I feel like a teenage gymnast. Yeah. Yep. It's just powerful and strong. Yeah. Like I'm young again. And, and yep. to me is, is the idea you, you, you put them through a little bit of pain and torture now so that they don't have to live with the pain mm. in the future. And that's the same with going to school. Yeah. It's the same with pretty much everything in life is you want your training to be hard so that the race will be easy. Absolutely. You don't want your best time 
to be in the race. You want your best time to have been done 20 times before the race happens. That's right. You know, so that in the race, it's, eh, it's easy. I just, I've done that. Yeah. I've done that before exactly. doing it again. So, you know, and that's for, goes for life as well. So anyway, this is Ari Gronich with the Create a New Tomorrow podcast. And we have had a lot of fun here. Hopefully you've gotten a lot out of it too. And we look forward to hearing about everything that you're learning and seeing you on the next podcast. I'll talk to you later. And thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate all you do to create a new tomorrow for yourself and those around you. If you'd like to take this information further and are interested in joining a community of like-minded people who are all passionate about activating their vision for a better world, go to the website, createanewtomorrow.com and find out how you can be part of making a bigger difference. I have a gift for you just for checking it out and look forward to seeing you take the leap and joining our private paid mastermind community. Until then, see you on the next episode.